0: You're listening to The Big Show on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Yes, welcome to our number four of The Big Show. Garrett Vanderplug along with you for the next hour. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls. We have a simple and permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things Basement D. Visit DL Basement Systems. No Flames hockey on the radio tonight as they beat the Boston Bruins 4-1, the final score yesterday in Beantown. But we do have Calgary Hitman hockey tonight on the radio. Hitman and Regina Pats will go at 7 o'clock. Logan Gordon will have the pregame show at 6 o'clock. And to talk more about the season thus far for the junior club here in Calgary. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to the play-by-play voice of the Calgary Hitman, Mr. Brad Curl. Curly, uh, thanks for the time, man. How's it going this morning?
1: You know, I'm doing real well. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to be on the big show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. And uh, we'll start here. This Saturday is the uh, Every Child Matters game down at the Dome. Uh, The Hitmen will be wearing some really cool themed jerseys. Uh, It's just another cool event the team does for a great cause. Uh, Just a thought on the um upcoming event this Saturday.
1: Well, it's always one of those that I get excited about when I look at the, the whole atmosphere that comes with it. I think it's just great when you can merge cultures together. And the yeah. Calgary Hitman, a number of years ago, uh, started this initiative with Siksika Health Services and basically um, brought the Blackfoot culture inside Scotiabank Saddledome. And always one of my favorite parts of the day are the, are the cultural events that go with it. You know, the the First Nations Round Dance. It was the first time ever a round dance to be held at, at Scotiabank Saddledome. when a, Basically, everybody got together on the concourse and had a dance in the intermission. Those themed jerseys you talk about uh, with proceeds going to such great local charities. And then in addition to that, just the the Blackfoot culture. I I assume that, uh, you know, many people don't aware or aren't aware that this game is actually broadcast in the Blackfoot culture. And and to speak with some of the elders and and to understand the uh, suppression that their language went through, um, you know, when a lot of them were growing up and were, were... or, as we know uh, in, in the past of, of, of the schooling, the residential school system, mm-hmm. the way that the First Nations people were treated, which is horrible. So the fact that you know, this culture nearly lost its, its ground and, and it's coming back you know, an, an opportunity for events like this to, to spread the language, to spread the, the cultural traditions and for the Calgary Hitmen to, you know, take it back to the community as well. They've been out to Siksika First Nation and they've had a number of practices out there. I know they signed the Memorandum of Understanding a number of years ago. It's basically a, a lifelong partnership. So and, and even um, on the on the other side of things, uh, you know, to the, the to the west of the city, on um, the Satina First Nation, as we know, the Calgary Hitmen have played a number of yeah. games out there. In fact, the 7 Chief Sportsplex was their home away from the dome Beautiful uh, rink the there. COVID year. Yeah, it's an absolutely wonderful facility. And for anyone looking for maybe, hey, I want to go to a gym. I live in the southwest. They've got a beautiful facility inside uh, 7 Chief Sportsplex out there where you can hit the ellipticals, the running rooms. So it's just wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh the Every Child Matters game goes this Saturday, February 10th. You can get uh tickets to that game by visiting uh hitman.com. Uh let's talk about the month that was for the for the junior team. It was an impressive month for the Hitmen going 6-1 and 3 and they've gotten themselves back into the playoff picture. Uh your thoughts on the month of January for the Calgary Hitmen?
1: Well, a little unexpected, you know, to be honest with you because the end of December did not go well. They were on that BC road trip and it bounced. It seemed like so many times they were finding ways to not be able to close games out. You know, they played very well. I thought they could have won all five games on that BC trip, but it wasn't until the end where they started to kind of get their legs, and they got the win on, uh, you know, January 5th in Kamloops to close it off, and that kind of triggered off a, okay, here we go moment. You found a way to get over the top of the mountain, and then you come home and you have a seven-game homestand, and they essentially win all but two games. One is an overtime loss. And the other one is the loss to the number one ranked team in all of the Canadian hockey league in the Saskatoon blades. But really Garrett, what what stood out to me was the depth scoring at the start mm-hmm. of the year. A lot of the goals were coming through Oliver Tulk, Sean Chagall and Carter Yakimchuk. Well, the trade deadline came and went in January and Sean Chagall was moved down to Lethbridge for a couple of draft picks. Um, and that kind of left a, a void in the offense a little bit. And you were wondering, okay, who's going to pick that up? Well, Maxime Moranoff, the Russian import, had a dazzling month. He led all hitmen with 16 points in the month of January. We saw Ethan Moore, a second-year player out of Okotoks, really find his offensive game. Had seven goals last month. Keats Fawcett, a freshman who wasn't even drafted in the WHL Prospects draft, um, they signed him, they listed him, and he's come in and had an unbelievable season. He had 14 points in the month of January. And then you knew that the other names that we've heard of most of the season would be there as well. And the David Adesinskis and the Carson Wetches and the Carter Yakimchucks and the Oliver Tulks, you know, they, they continue to do what they've done and that's fine. The score sheet a lot this year. So you really added another layer to the offense instead of just a one line team and some production off the back end, you added a second scoring line and really it hasn't looked back since the, the month of January who's moved into February and they've got two of three wins last weekend. So, a good sign for this young group that mm-hmm. is one of the youngest in the Western Hockey League that although they're young, uh, they're competing in every single game this year.
0: Yeah, you bring it up there with the depth scoring that this Hitman team has, uh, you know, found kind of found their touch right now. And you just mentioned right at the end there that this Hitman team is really young and they do have a lot of 16 and 17 year olds on their roster. That early season struggles that you're seeing in the early month in October and November, it feels like it has almost prepared this Hitman team for success. And they're starting to feel like they they know how to win in the WHL now, right?
1: Yeah, certainly. And, and, you know, that's to go with expectations when you've got a group that is essentially half your roster as rookies. There's a lot to take in. Let's remember these players are not all from Calgary. So there's moving away from home, Mm -hmm. moving into a billet family, getting adjusted to that, learning new systems, merging with your teammates, the coaching staff. There's a lot thrown at you. And of course, the one thing that, that NHL scouts talk about so much is just the, the compact schedule where you go from minor hockey where you don't play as many games. In the WHL, you're essentially on the ice every single day with the exception of perhaps one. If you're not practicing, you're playing. So that can wear on you a little bit, especially for the young players. Coaches sometimes, say, use the term they'll hit a wall, meaning that you haven't done this before and you've got to make sure you take care of your body along the way. But to, to get the scoring that they've got this year, I think, has really helped. You can have a young team, but it doesn't guarantee success. But Garrett, they've got a team that can score goals. And I was looking at it this morning as I prepped for the game against Regina tonight, and I had to look at it twice. Two years ago, this is a Hitman team uh, that missed the playoffs, tied for ninth in the conference. Top eight get in. They won 25 hockey games. They scored 183 goals this year. They've already scored 185 goals, wow. and there's still 21 games to go. It's just mind-blowing that in two years' time, you could go from this team that really struggles to score and trying to claw its way to a playoff spot to a team that all of a sudden is going to blow the doors off their offense from a couple of years ago. So it doesn't really shock me that we're talking about if the playoffs were to start today, the Calgary Hitmen are in the postseason. It doesn't surprise me they've taken that step because those young guys have come in here – and it brought a lot of skill to the lineup. And I know that was a focal point by the, the regime in the offseason is to add more skill. Well, the skill is there, it's producing, and it's fun to watch.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's all you need is just a great offense. You can outscore some of your problems. We see it in the NHL with uh, the Edmonton Oilers or even at times the uh... – Tampa Bay Lightning were fighting for a playoff spot. But I uh, wanted to get back to some of these younger players that are in in the Hitman system as well. It feels like the Hitman regime, as you said there, are really focusing on developing their 16- and 17-year-olds. It feels like the next couple of years, if these uh, players continue to develop into some really solid junior hockey players here, the Hitmen are going to be on top of the standing once again and get back to one of the premier teams in the WHL.
1: Yeah, and that's been their organizational goal. You can you can try and make the playoffs, but if you get in and lose in the first round or even in the second round, you really feel satisfied. And I think that there's some, some merit to getting in, but if that's the path you're always in every single year is just get in only to lose in the first couple of rounds. You that see with old the Flames, after right? Same
0: yeah, sort it, of scenario. It, gets
1: old, after. it yeah. gets old after a while. Fans want more. and I mean, they deserve more, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard to win at all because – you're not the only team, and, and sometimes your cycle gets changed a little bit. And i I'll look at the, you know, the medicine at Tigers as a prime example. They, they go out and they draft an outstanding player in the first round of the prospects draft a couple of years ago by the name of Cole Sillinger, and then all of a sudden he's drafted, and then right away Jetsons into the National Hockey League. And part of you is proud, I'm sure, as a Tigers fan, going, Wow, we produced an NHL player. But the Tiger fan that's a season ticket holder that wants to see the Medicine Hat Tigers, you know, challenge for a a league title goes, okay, we just lost two to three years of junior hockey out of a player that has all of a sudden moved on to the NHL. So it's hard. And there are some cards that maybe fall against you sometimes. But for Calgary, they've really taken upon themselves like you got to win as a group. And, And the one commonality that all teams at the top have, especially in the Western Hockey League, they usually have a plethora of 18, 19 and 20 year old not only age relevant players but really good hockey players so calgary's identified this young core all mm-hmm. those 16 and 17 and 18 year olds that you talk about and they feel that as that core matures and comes 18, 19, 20 that they're going to be a handful and you know a prime example of that you look at the WHL rookie scoring race it's been forever since the hitmen have had two rookie scorers in the top 10 in the Western Hockey League at the same time and they've got that this year Ben Kindle who's only 16 years old is nearly a point-a-game player already he's got 41 points in 47 games had four assists on Sunday against Edmonton and then Keats Fawcett is right behind him in the WHL rookie scoring race he's got 35 points including 14 goals and Fawcett at the start of the year he's a year older than Kindle wasn't even on the NHL central scouting draft radar. And all of a sudden midterm rankings come out and boom, he's on that list. So Fawcett has definitely come in along with Kindle and the rest of that young group, and not only been youth on the ice, but they're playing on the power play. They're playing top six minutes. They're on either the first or second unit of the man advantage. They're getting all kinds of opportunities. It's just great to see the way they've been able to escalate. And I know talking to the general manager, Gary Davidson, you knew at the start of the year you're going to take some licks. They started 2-7-1, and one, but you hope that by the time the calendar moves on that this group starts to grow up uh, and really mature. And credit to the coaching staff, they play the heck out of them. All of a sudden we're talking about a Calgary Hitman team that's two games over 500 and in a playoff spot.
0: Yeah, and even kind of con- uh, to compare the the way the Hitmen are uh, injecting youth into the lineup is somewhat similar to what the Calgary Flames are even doing right now, kind of going through a youth movement as well and uh, just giving more guys an opportunity to prove what they got, some hungry players to get into the lineup and uh, really prove that they can take their next step is a great way to change the culture around a hockey team. Uh, also got to ask you about another standout for the Calgary Hitmen, obviously Carter Yakimchuk. He's he's been a riser all season when it comes to the uh, draft rankings. From what you've seen from him over his past three seasons with the Calgary Hitmen, can you point out one thing about his game that it's like, wow, he's really matured and has really grown over the last three years?
1: Confidence, confidence, confidence. It's a funny thing, isn't it, Garrett? When you don't yeah. have it, you're you're kind of fighting it, and when you have it, you feel like you can do anything on the ice. And Carter Yakimchuk has it. I think it's worth saying that, you know, when the dust settles on the end of this year, not only is he going to be a first-round NHL pick, but he's going to sit atop the hitman record books. He goes into tonight needing just one goal to tie Jake Bean for the franchise record for most goals in a single season by a defenseman. Bean scored 24 times back in the 2015 season. Well, Yakumchuk currently sharing second place on that list with Paul Postma. Postman had 23 goals back in the 8 campaign. We know Postman had a pretty good NHL career. Jake Bean is currently in the National Hockey League with the Columbus Blue Jackets. But to circle back on Yakim, it's just confidence. And he reminds me a little bit of a defensive back. The Super Bowl is coming up this weekend, and a lot of yeah. us are going to watch it. Um, he's the defensive cornerback that you throw a bad pass, he's going to pick it off and take it to the house the other way. We've seen a lot of that. He feasts in the neutral zone with his ability to transition the puck. Uh, going right at you with a pass that goes through the neutral zone that isn't right on the tape or maybe not in stride he'll pick it and go the other way and and he's as likely to score from behind the net as he is out at the blue line he just he uses the entire ice some defensemen live at the blue line and live with a big shot that's my game get me the puck i want a one-time pucks from the back end well that's fun and sexy and all but you got to be a little bit more than that, and Yakimchuk can do that at the blue line, but we've seen him carry it down to the half boards and find teammates. We've seen him go behind the net and score on wraparounds. He just has so much confidence with the puck, and he's had some great highlight reel goals as well. He's a skilled player. Sometimes you watch him, you know, the, the young guys bring the puck up the wing, and they'll put it into their feet and put it up to their stick, and generally that's reserved for forwards. Well, Yakimchuk does that as a defenseman. He had a wonderful assist on a goal in Victoria, uh, where he set up Chase Valiant on the doorstep, was a WHL player of the week at the time. So he just got so many attributes to his game on the offensive side of the puck. And the one thing that I will say about Yakim Chuck as well, he's got the size to go with it. Mm-hmm. So in the D zone, he's a really good cycle buster. He can pin you on the wall. He's tough. He's aggressive in front of the net. Uh, we've seen him at times this year, drop the gloves. He's got a little bit of a, a gnarly attitude where, Hey, I'm six foot three, 194 pounds, and I'll use it at times. And he's a Calgary boy as well. He's just been fun to watch. A graduate of the Calgary Flames minor hockey program, just a, a real exciting prospect. And he is a year older, which I wondered Mike, How does that sit in the NHL draft? Because he had the late birthday last year, so he'll be drafted as an 18-year-old as opposed to a 17-year-old. But. He's doing things that no one else has done around these parts of the Hitman and he leads all WHL blue liners in goals as well with uh, 23 of them. So he's had a wonderful year.
0: Yeah, the, NFL, uh, the NHL draft is definitely a couple months away, but it always arrives uh, sooner than you think. Uh, and during that period of time, all the analysts and whatnot like to do player comparisons, draft comparisons, et cetera. Is there a player that you can really, off the top of your head, compare Yakumchuk's game to?
1: You know, that's a great question, and I've talked to a few people about it. The, the one that I've heard probably the most uh, would be John Carlson of the Washington Capitals would probably be the, the one comparable that, that kind of you can see it there, and, and obviously we know what Carlson has done in his time, went on to play nearly 1,000 games in the NHL and still going strong. Um, to me, for Yakimchuk, I think the sky is the limit. I think defensively um, – you know, as good as he has been, you know, in the D zone, I still think his decision-making with a puck, um, you know, can improve sometimes, you know, when you've got that much offense in your game, sometimes you want to push it, maybe take off up the ice all the single, all the time where you've got to read it a little bit. But he just got so much skill and, and so much, well, you know, so much enthusiasm for the game, and, and, and they love him as a teammate. But to me, John Carlson would probably be the one comparable. And you look at his draft path as well. Carlson, I look... Just pulled it up. He was a first-round pick, 27th overall in the 2008 NHL draft. And a right-shot defenseman, Carlson 6'3", 215. Uh, we look at Yakimchuk 6'3", and uh, 194. So comparable, big right-shot defenseman. NHL teams seem to love those right-shot defensemen that can move the puck. So I think Yakimchuk, we're talking about a player that has a tremendous amount of potential. Um, you know, And I'm excited to see who, which team is going to take him come June.
0: We're in conversation with Brad Curl, the play-by-play voice of the Calgary Hitman. He's joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's hour four of the big show. Uh, looking ahead for the month that is uh, coming right away here for uh, the Calgary Hitman, the month of February, uh, 14 games in 27 days. Sometimes that can be an exhausting task at the pro level, but uh, I think it could be a positive at the junior level. Me being a, a former junior hockey player myself, uh, not at the any not at the level of the WHL by any means, but uh, when a team is on a roll and, and you're you're on a hot streak such as the Calgary Hitman, it feels like you just want to keep getting back out there. Your, your thoughts on that, the, the 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 deep schedule here of the month of February for the Calgary Hitman?
1: You know, it's funny you say that, Derek, because I've talked to a lot of players about this over the time, and I said, how do you feel about this? And they're like, games beat practice every day of the week. I yeah. said, are you sure about that? They're not even close. Practice is one of those things where – you know you enjoy it as a player to get on the ice because you love hockey but nothing beats a game exactly. and, and i know for the coaches the, the challenging part is if you're in a bit of a funk and then you got all these games you're going boy it'd be nice to have some practice time where we can fix some of these things but to your point calgary's playing so well right now eight two and three in their last 13 games 10 4 3 and 1 in their last 18 they're playing some of their best hockey of season right now so to have These games, when you are playing well, it's kind of as though, and you can use the Oilers as an example. Oilers were humming, going to the All-Star break, and they're trying to chase these NHL records. You get the big break, and everybody wonders, what's going to come out the other side? Because we were playing so well. Well, the Oilers lose last night. I'm not saying it's because of the All-Star break. They faced a very good team in the Golden Knights, but that's the momentum I talk about. And right now, Calgary's got that side. The Hitmen are feeling good about themselves. And the one thing that they are doing so well that puts them in all these games, Garrett, is their offense. They're averaging four and a half goals a game on Saddle Dome ice this year. I looked at it this morning, fourth highest scoring team in the WHL at home. They've had some big numbers in this building um, where they'll play tonight against Regina. Um, So right now um, they've got some home cooking. They'll play tonight against the Pats. Then they've got Friday against Medicine Hat. Saturday, that two o'clock start against Moose Jaw. So um, some real good teams coming through here. Medicine Hat leads the division. Uh, Moose Jaw was a buyer at the trade deadline, Um, so we'll see how it all shakes down, but for Calgary, they are playing some great hockey right now. We'll see how it all unfolds this month, because last month, they were able, with that hot stretch of January, pick up eight points on the Prince Albert Raiders and pass them now on that playoff spot. The question will be if they can get a little higher, you know, not only about getting into the postseason, how high can you climb, and I think they've got a real opportunity if they can keep this pace. They're only two back of Lethbridge. They're only four back of the brandon Wheat week Kings, six back of the Swift Current Broncos. They've got games in hand on all of them. So the path to the playoffs might not just be try and get in at eight, but maybe you might be able to get up to as high as the number five seed. We'll see.
0: Uh, Curly, before I let you go, set the scene for tonight's matchup. Hitman looking for some redemption against the Regina Pats. Uh, what should we expect from tonight's contest?
1: Well, I'm, I'm excited that there's no Connor Bedard. Uh, I yeah. will say that. Having watched Bedard the last few years against the Calgary Hitmen, it was, it, it was fun to watch. I won't lie about it. We all remember that game in February in Calgary when there were 16,000-plus, and Regina won that game in overtime. Um, I still remember the game that, that, to me, was his first game back after the World Juniors. It was January 8th of last year. I remember well. of course, I'll watch Bedard start for Team Canada at the World Juniors. First game back against the Calgary Hitman, Bedard has six points. They win it 6-2. Two of them shorthanded goals, 13 shots on goal. And I remember before the game going, what is it like to be a Hitman player right now? Because first game back in Regina, they played a tribute video, all the Bedard highlights of the World Juniors. And this was like five minutes long, this video. I'm either looking at it as a player going, wow, I can't wait to play Bedard tonight, or I'm intimidated as all heck going, boy, now we got to face this guy, so... Regina without Bedard is definitely a different group, but they've been a real thorn in the heel of the Calgary Hitmen this year. Their first meeting was in October. Regina scored twice in the final five to eke out a one-goal win. Calgary had a 4-3 lead, and the last time in here you and Huey was absolutely unbelievable. Son of uh, Cristobal Huey, the former goaltender in the National Hockey League. and uh, Ewan was unbelievable. He was the first star. So Calgary, their hands full tonight against Regina. And the Pats are a scrappy club. They're on the outside of the playoff picture looking at it. So Calgary's got the target on the back right now. Regina's trying to get in seven points back. You know this one is a must-have for the Pats tonight. And Calgary has to approach it the same way.
0: Brad, thanks for the time this morning. Best of luck for the rest of the season. We'll be listening tonight and uh, hope to do this again soon. Thanks again. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Thanks, Garrett. There you go. There's Brad Curl, the voice of the Calgary Hitmen. And of course, he joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, We're going to hit the break here on hour four of the big show. Around the corner, going to switch gears, going to talk some basketball. The NBA trade deadline goes tomorrow. Always one of the more exciting days in the world of sports. Going to talk some NBA trade rumors next with NBA writer for Sportsnet, Kai Gamage. That's all straight ahead. Keep it locked. Sportsnet 960, the Fan. Welcome back. Shutting things down here on a Wednesday edition of The Big Show. Garrett Vanderplug along with you for the next uh, 20 or so minutes. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Tomorrow marks uh, one of my favorite days in the world of sports. Usually uh, marks a lot of excitement. It's the NBA trade deadline. A lot of new faces in new places, hopefully, as there's the NBA never seems to disappoint when it comes to their trade deadline. I think it's probably one of the more uh, exciting deadline days in the world of sports. And to talk more about that, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to NBA writer for Sportsnet. His name is Kai Gamage. Kai, uh, thanks for taking some time this morning. How's it going, man?
2: Not too bad, man. Always, always an exciting time in the NBA calendar, so happy to be talking about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll start with some news that actually happened a, a little while ago. We'll talk about Canada's team, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, we'll start with them. They moved Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers. Obviously, the Raps had to move him while he was in his last year of the contract to uh, you know, not do the same thing they did with Fred Van Vliet. But uh, what did you make of that move of Siakam joining uh, the Pacers?
1: Well...
2: I mean, the return obviously wasn't all that great on paper. Uh, The hope there was that you can turn Bruce Brown into something else. Maybe Jordan Wara becomes a player that you can maybe see as a role player for this team. Who knows about Kira Lewis? Definitely more of a project guy. But you get three first-round picks in return. Um, It's not the best return. It's not something that you really look at and think is worth someone like C. Ackham, right. right? Like, this is a guy who's just a franchise icon, especially in the past few years. He's really established himself as a fan favorite. Um, I mean, me personally, like, this is this is one of my favorite Raptors of all time. I think that he really embodied what it meant to play for Toronto, what it meant to become, become who he is. It was just a good story, the- right?
0: 100%. Like, this was a guy yeah, they developed like, through the G League and all that.
2: Right, like, this is a, this is a G League champion. This is an NBA champion. I mean, this is our guy. Like this was a huge success story for the Raptors um, during the We the North era, and it's a mass. He's a massive reason as to why they won the championship. So, getting that sort of return for him, it just didn't feel right. But I don't know. It's hard to look at any trade for Pascal Siakam, especially. I mean, most diehard Raptors fans are going to look at any trade for Pascal Siakam and say that no package was right for a guy of his caliber.
0: Right. Uh, you mentioned Bruce Brown there off the top, a guy that the Raptors received back, and uh, it seems like the Raptors are going to be wanting to flip him. Where are some possible destinations? What are some teams that you think would be uh, willing to make a deal with the Ravs for Bruce Brown?
2: So it's a pretty interesting market for him right now. Um, he is the type of player that would fit on most rosters. We saw him plug in perfectly with the Denver Nuggets last season when they won the title. Um, And that sort of prowess, that sort of plug-and-play ability, that versatility, that high-level role-player skill that he has, a lot of teams are coveting something like that. So we've seen rumors prop up from teams like the Philadelphia 76ers who are desperately in need of some additional versatility, of some additional scoring that Bruce Brown can bring in. Uh, Just someone that they can really use in... They're closing lineups, especially now with Embiid out. Uh, Bruce Brown would be huge there. Uh, But they're not being mentioned as much as of late right now. The big three teams that are being talked about are the Los Angeles Lakers, New York Knicks, and Milwaukee Bucks, Um, all of which are obviously contending teams. The Lakers may be less so, but any contending team is looking at Bruce Brown as the sort of plug-and-play player that you need on a championship roster. What he did for the Nuggets last year, every single team in the in the NBA saw that. His versatility, his his positional size, like that's the type of guy that most teams are gonna want, and that's what we're seeing going into this deadline. That most of these contending teams are looking at Bruce Brown as a guy that they could go after. But those are the big three teams that we need to be looking at right now: the Knicks, the Lakers, and the
0: Bucks. Uh, last one on the wraps before we move on to some deadline stuff. The other trade that was obviously made was uh, the Raps acquiring RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly from the New York Knicks in exchange for OG Ananobi. We talked about how the return for Siakam might have been a little bit underwhelming, but so far, the way this Ananobi trade has been aging, I would say it's a win-win for both teams. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the Knicks are way out. In, like they're they're doing incredibly well since acquiring OG and even though he's been traded for the lot sorry he's been injured for the last four games um the impact that he had when he was on the court was was palpable his plus minus was the best in the league i don't have the exact number with me right now but there was a point there i think like a week or two after he had started Uh, with the New York Knicks where he was at like a plus 89 which was like a solid 10 points above anybody else like it was insane the impact that he was bringing to the Knicks and he's just the exact type of guy that Tom Thibodeau would love in New York like this is a dude that runs his players into the ground that plays them hard that plays them heavy that loves defensive versatility that just loves guys that know their roles and that's Ananobi to a T and I think that like even look at like Precious Achua as part of this deal, right? He's played 40 minutes in the last four games, um, which is the most that he's played by far in his career. Prior to the last four games, he'd only played 40 minutes twice. And now mm-hmm. he's done it four games in a row, right? Like this is, these are the exact type of guys that the Knicks wanted on their team. As for the Raptors, I mean, Barrett and Quickly have fit right in and really establish themselves as the core that the Raptors want to build around Scottie Barnes, right? Like we acquired or say the Raptors acquired two core players for the future going forward. So yeah, it was absolutely, it was absolutely a win-win. And you don't really see that too much in the NBA right. anymore. So.
0: Yeah. Usually in the NBA, it feels like the player, the team who gets the best player that the true marquee superstar, or I guess in this place, mm-hmm. you know, 3-and-D guy, the team who gets the best player more often than not wins the trade, right?
2: Yeah, no, no doubt. And it's hard to really tell who the best player in this deal is, right? Exactly. Um, Like, OG obviously is incredible. He's a number one defensive option no matter where you put him. He's one of the best plug-and-play players in the entire association. His, obviously, defensive prowess is great, but his offense is nothing to be scoffed at. His three-point shooting, particularly from the corner, is incredible um but it's hard to say that he's the best player in this deal right like mm-hmm. emmanuel quickly is the perfect guard to to put beside scotty for the future rj barrett's been absolutely stellar since coming to his hometown so like og might be the best on paper that most teams would want but for what the toronto raptors needed those two guys are exactly what they needed
0: yeah, and, and R.J. getting a chance to play in front of his his home country. And I, I think the upside on him is super high. Obviously, he was a teammate with Zion Williamson during those Duke days, and he goes third overall in in that draft. We're, we're waiting to see if he can really become a, a true superstar in the league. But I, I believe a lot in the upside of, of R.J. Barrett, and I think he's been fitting in well so far as a Toronto Raptor. Uh, we'll get to some of the deadline stuff right away here as the deadline does go down tomorrow. My question to you, Kai, is uh, what team do you believe needs to make a move the most come tomorrow?
2: It's tough. I'd say the Warriors at this point, actually. Um, They're not really in the playoff picture right now, and I don't think that that's a position you ever want to be in when you have Steph Curry on your roster. right? Um, They weren't very good a a couple years back, just the year prior to winning their um, fourth NBA title they weren't very good right but it was a year that Steph Curry was injured Clay Thompson was out Draymond Green was in and out it just wasn't it was a rebuilding year for the Warriors so it was kind of understandable that they weren't good but right now you've still got Steph he might not be at the peak of his abilities but this is still a guy who people are going to consider a snub that he wasn't named an all-star starter right Mm. like Steph's still incredible Um, obviously clay has been not good to say the least it's
0: transitioning um, transitional roles yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah he's he's
2: he's aging um, yep. to put it nicely but like the Warriors need to do something you can't you can't waste years of Steph Curry and they've actually developed a couple guys really well so far this year you're looking at guys like Jonathan Kaminga who in the recent in, in recent weeks has taken a massive leap been absolutely stellar like Casually putting up 25 points. Um, Brandon Pajemski, their rookie, has been really, really strong. He's a heady player from Santa Clara. They've been developing some great, smart, high, high basketball IQ players. Um, so they've got the pieces to work with Steph right now. Like they have a couple of those guys. It's just mm-hmm. about making a move, um, trying to flip like Andrew Wiggins' contract or Chris Paul's contract. And I want to see if they're really willing to do something with Clay Thompson. Um, obviously, this is a franchise stalwart. It's hard to believe that they'd ever really trade him just because of what he means to the organization, what he means to Golden State, to Oakland, to the Bay Area as a whole. Um, it's hard to see a world where they actually deal him. Like, he's going to have a statue outside one day, but. If we're really considering what the best move forward for the Golden State Warriors is, it's dealing someone like Clay Thompson, because there's still value out there out there for him somewhere. Like mm-hmm. get him on a team with maybe a more established offense, as it stands right now. Um, I was looking at a couple odds this morning, and um, the best. team with the best odds to land clay thompson is the philadelphia 76ers a team that just needs a spot-up shooter that doesn't need another like a secondary ball handler clay's just that guy
1: yeah
2: um could be interesting but i want to see if they really have the guts to do it they hired a new gm in the offseason and mike Dunleavy, um just to kind of have someone that's not familiar or that doesn't have those connections with the old guard in the same way that Bob Myers did. Um, So I want to see if he's willing to actually break up the band um, and do what's best for Steph Curry and for the future of the Golden State Warriors. Uh,
0: You you brought up Philadelphia there, and I, I feel like that's an interesting team to bring up just because I wonder if their deadline plans have actually changed now given the fact that Joel Embiid is going to be sidelined for a while here with that knee injury?
2: Yeah, so uh, reports from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and Brian Windhorst of ESPN, they're both kind of saying that the 76ers have not changed course whatsoever. Um, They still intend to be buyers. So as it stands, Joel Embiid is likely to miss only six to eight weeks, which... When we're looking at meniscus injuries, that's really not too bad. It doesn't seem like it'll be a full uh, replacement or removal of his meniscus. Um, It'll be a shorter recovery time for him. So he should hopefully uh, be back by the playoffs at the very least. Um, So according to reports, they're hoping that they're able to buy guys to bring in guys to make sure that once he comes back, there's a core that's ready to compete for a championship in place, right? I'm hearing a lot of rumblings for guys like Andre Drummond, surprisingly a reunion there would be pretty interesting. He's been killing it with the bulls as of late. Um, And they've been actually playing him in two big lineups alongside Nikola Vucevic. So having him giving him that versatility um, playing potentially playing him alongside Joel uh, could be actually a really interesting move. And in the time that Joel misses, he could be a really solid spot starter for them uh, rather than deploying B-Ball Paul Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also looking at some shooters right now. Uh, Buddy Heald and Bojan Bogdanovic are the two big names that I'm seeing a lot uh, tied to the Philadelphia 76ers. So expect them to be buyers. Um, expect them to make, I'd say, like one, like one, at least two, two to three moves prior to the deadline, but this isn't a team that is going to waste a year sitting around uh, on their hands. Daryl Morey is not a type of GM to waste a year sitting on his hands. So expect them to be buyers. Their plans have Mm. not changed.
0: We are in conversation with NBA writer for Sportsnet, Kai Gamage on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's hour four of the big show. I want to go out west here, and I want to talk to you about the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Where are you at with this team and how they're going to approach the deadline. Obviously their management has done a remar- remarkable job turning this team around as they've went through this retool phase following the Russ, PG, even Carmelo Anthony era. Uh what what do you think Oklahoma City should be doing at this deadline? Should be they should this be the time for them to really go all in and try and go for that chip?
2: I mean, they've got I think 37 picks in the next 7 years. I, I know, know it's nuts. It is mind boggling and to not use them in a year where they are sitting on top of the Western Conference would be, I think, one of the biggest mistakes that front office has ever made. I think it would be an absurd. It might be their oversight.
0: only mistake. I can't remember a time when after yeah. like they've done such a great job acquiring picks, right?
2: Yeah, they've been incredible. I mean, it's it's been it's been joked about forever just how good they are at hoarding picks at just making sure they have as ample a, dra- a draft chest as possible. So I just don't understand why they wouldn't use them right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they've been waiting. This is the exact team that they've been waiting for. Right. Shea is an MVP level player. Um, Chet Holmgren is the exact defensive guy that you want kind of holding down the back line. Um, and honestly is just such a good secondary star to Shea. Jalen Williams has been so steady. One of the best clutch players in the league actually has the most fourth quarter points in the entire NBA or had the most fourth quarter points in the entire NBA up until he missed the last week or so with injury. Right. Um, this is a team that's ready to win, right? Like they're young they're hungry. And I just don't see a world where Presti, their GM doesn't make a move. They've been really quiet of late. Um, We haven't really heard their name pop up in a lot of rumors, but there's clear needs for this team going forward. They don't have a lot of size, right? Like their only Mm -hmm. seven-footer that they normally deploy is Chet Holmgren. I know that they've been trying to use Usman Jang just a little bit more, but he's just as skinny as Chet. Um, Doesn't really help them bang bodies down low. So I'd be looking at them to join the bigs. Um, to go after bigs, look, guys like Andre Drummond, guys like Kelly Olenek, uh, maybe get that Canadian connection back on the team with him and Shea. Um, could be a pretty interesting pairing. Um, and he also moves the ball pretty well. I think he'd fit really nicely in the Thunder scheme. That's Kelly Olynyk from the uh, Utah Jazz. Um, I'm looking at those two guys, just any sort of size that you can yeah. get right now to compete with teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Denver Nuggets, the LA Lakers. Like these are big teams. You need big guys, guys bigger than Chet to take them on. So it'd be, it'd be an oversight. It'd be a disappointment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it'd be a waste to not turn in some of the head draft capital to get a guy that helps this core, this talented, incredible, young, feisty core compete now.
0: Right. Uh, Kind of a similar question for uh, the New York Knicks as well. It feels like this is a time for them to go all in with Jalen Brunson being on an absolute tear. I know that Julius Randle is sidelined right now. But to me, it feels like the Knicks are only like one or two pieces away from being one of those really top teams out in the East, especially with Embiid being sidelined now and with, like, some dysfunction in Milwaukee, especially on the defensive end. Your thoughts on how the New York Knicks uh, plan to approach this deadline?
2: Uh, The Knicks are hungry. Uh, You Mm. can tell, like, they've been in a ton of rumors. Obviously, they're one of the main teams here for Bruce Brown. Um, Very much, again, another Tom Thibodeau-type player. Uh, I'd expect them to absolutely be on the lookout for another wing, uh, a little bit more three-point shooting. I've heard Boyan Bogdanovich also um, as a name popping up there, though I don't really know if he's a Tom Thibodeau-type player, but getting that three-point shooting, getting that veteran presence, Um, would be a solid add for a team like the Knicks. That's kind of what they're looking for right now. Um, I'm also hearing that they're looking for some backup guard play after dealing away at Manuel quickly. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a little bit of a shortage there, and sadly, I don't think that Malachi Flynn is the guy to uh, fill up that hole.
0: Could DeJounte Um, Murray be a fit there?
2: DeJounte Murray could be a fit there. I've heard a couple of rumblings of that potentially happening the nice thing about Dejounte Murray is that his contract is extremely tradable right right like he's only on the books for about 18 million this year so if the Knicks wanted to make a move it would only cost them Quinton Grimes and Evan Fournier um, and some of their draft capital of course which they've got a ton of so Dejounte Murray could be a move there I think that his defensive fall-offs of late might be a little bit concerning uh, to the Knicks, and they might also see Dejounte Murray's fit alongside Trey Young, and view it as not really conducive to a fit alongside someone like Jalen Brunson, who also puts the ball in his hands. Um, it's it'd be cool, it'd be nice to I think have that third, have that have another star in New York, but. I think that the Knicks are looking more for flexibility going forward. And DeJounte Murray, along with his I think, four year extension following this season, don't really offer them the flexibility that they might want going into the offseason as one of the most desirable teams in the entire NBA. So uh, sorry, go ahead. they might be more looking to they might more be looking towards role players, um, plug and play guys, guys that you don't really need to adjust your scheme for. Um, and rentals just so they can maintain their flexibility going forward.
0: Uh, one more for you here, uh, Kai. Another team that I think is super interesting just because I know uh, the, probably the team that I follow the most, but uh, it's the Los Angeles Lakers, and there has been some rumors going about that uh, maybe LeBron James could be on the move. I don't think that's going to happen. I know that he doesn't have a, a trade, co- trade uh a no trade clause, but he does have a uh, I'm a LeBron James trade clause kind of thing. Like You're not going to be the guy that trade LeBron James. But uh, at what point do you think the Lakers need to start thinking about life after LeBron? Because they they did give up those picks to acquire Anthony Davis and a variety of other players that have gone in and out of L.A. Your thoughts on how L.A. kind of needs to start thinking about the future sooner rather than later in my eyes.
2: Man, my thing with any team with LeBron James is you don't you don't think about life past LeBron James. I know, but LeBron he's like
0: almost he's forty years old, right?
2: Yeah, but it's LeBron James, I get right? Him, like yeah. you, you, you win, you win mm-hmm. as much as you can while he's on your roster, and chances are, I mean, I don't I don't see him going anywhere, right? Like this is a team that will make sure that he stays a Laker. Um, We've seen it in the past with, I mean, any Lakers superstar, they make sure that guys are happy there. They treat their superstars right. And I think that they're going to do the exact same with LeBron, make sure that he retires in Los Angeles. And I don't really see him wanting to be away from his family either. Um, I don't, I also just don't see a way that you can really pivot out of this era easily. Right? like this is, this is what happens when you're a LeBron James team. Yeah. You kind of have to just understand that this is the time to win and you do whatever it takes to win. And you don't think about how you're going to pivot out of it. Right? You gave up everything to get him. Um, you traded away all the young players that they had drafted and you made sure to give them a core that can win now and I just don't see them transitioning from that era until he makes it clear that he's leaving the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, That's just not (laughs) in their books, I'd say. Uh, Right now, the Lakers, they're pretty interesting. Um, The way that they approach the deadline is still very much up in the air, but I'm hearing more rumblings that they do actually stand pat um, because of D'Angelo Russell's recent surge. Uh, they don't really view any players on the market as being able to move the needle enough um, to really make a difference uh, should they trade D'Angelo Russell, which is a crazy place to be in, honestly, to think that D'Angelo Russell's probably just as much of a guy as DeJounte Murray at this point in his
1: career.
0: Uh, Kai, thanks again for the time. Always a pleasure having you on. Enjoy the deadline tomorrow. I'm sure it's, it will be exciting. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Thanks a lot, pal. Yeah,
2: no problem. Thanks for having me, Garrett.
0: There you go. There's Kai Gamage, NBA writer for Sportsnet. And, of course, he joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. That's going to wrap us up here for a Wednesday edition of The Big Show. Thanks to everyone who listened. And thanks to our guests who joined us earlier on in the program. Loaded show, Brent Cron, Sam Cosentino. Matt Marchese, DeMontre Moore, Brad Curl, and, of course, Kai Gamage, who you just heard. A reminder, if you missed any of those discussions, you can find them on our podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you may stream full episodes of The Big Show. Once again, thanks to everyone who listened. I've been GVP. The Jeff Merrick Show is next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.